today is January the 19th, 2012. I'll remind you that we're going to have a uh, Libronics uh, Logos software class Saturday at 2 o'clock here. So if you have Logos, if you have that software, if you want to be here, uh, we're going to try to cover as much ground as we can. Also, there's not going to be any uh, young people's class this coming Wednesday. Okay, let's prepare ourselves in a usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here to feed on your word. We're so thankful that you have a word that changes not, that we can always depend upon it. We can depend upon the author of your word and that we can be overcomers by simply adding our volition to all the grace provisions that you have prepared for us. So we pray that you will help us to focus so that we can drink your word in in full measure, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> I was studying all day today. I took a break to have <clears throat> a bite of lunch. <clears throat> and I was going through the channels, and I hit the nut channel by accident. The nut channel on my TV is 22, but I'm just off of an antenna, so I don't know. Y'all probably can't relate to that anymore. But anyhow... Um, it was a guy, his name is Larry Hutch, and his wife on there was named Tiz, T-I-Z. And what really made me stop was because I, right when I hit the channel, they were at a table talking to one another, you know, this broadcast. <clears throat> and he said, yeah, that's, that's what you got to know about James chapter 2. Boom! Uh, <laughs> And he was trying to say, this is how you can prove that you're really saved or not. And he said that it's all about unity. Um, he said, there was a time that I used to read the Martin, uh, uh, what's his name, Walter Martin's book, Kingdom of the Cults, which, by the way, is a terrific book. And he said, I used to read that, and I would always be judging these other people he says, but then I, come to find, I came to find out what love is all about. And he says, uh, he, knew per, he knows personally uh, Marie Osmond and has been to her house several times. And he says, she loves the Lord. And he said, there's no way that you can just ex can, can major on these little differences. He says, that's what divides us. Uh, we need to recognize, I asked her point blank, um, who, who do you have to know to get to heaven? And she said, Jesus Christ. So there you have it. She's a believer. What he doesn't recognize is they believe in a, another Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. So you, if I can hit that just at going through the channels as I sit down to hit lunch, how often is that going out through the airwaves? that what we need is to unite and not let these little petty differences like works for salvation divide us. So, anyhow, uh, 
We're going to start on Lesson 29 tonight. We're in getting the gospel right under faith alone. And we're going to start with repentance. What oh, I'm going to turn it off. There you go. We need one that just has one button on it here for me. Look at all those. Uh, <clears throat> lesson 29 is January 19, the 19th. Some claim that faith in Christ is not enough. One must also repent of his sins to be saved. Is that true? And must one repent, confess of his or her sins to be saved? And then I explained that some people think that that is the case. This is Michael P. Andrews said the following. The issue here is that when one turns to something, he must at the same time turn from something else. The New Testament term for this turning away is repentance. It means not just remorse, but a turning around so that one goes in an entirely different direction. Now what he is alluding to is that if you are truly saved, if you have the right kind of faith and enough faith, when you believe in Jesus Christ, everything is going to change. Your personality is going to change. Your habits are going to change uh, because this is the signs of true repentance. And I'm just, from the, what, the rest of what he says, you'll see that that is the context that he has. Since we cannot read other people's hearts and discern their true status, saved or lost, before God... We need to help them measure themselves by God's standard to see if they are in the faith. I suggest that six months of turning from sin and fruit-bearing for Christ may be appropriate evidence of genuineness. So, can you bear fruit without sinning for six months? With somebody watching you, that makes it harder. I haven't read there, you notice, God's standard. Well, all of you hopefully know by now that God has only one standard for someone to acquire eternal life, and that is faith alone in Christ alone. Right. That is the standard. Always has been, always will be. Okay. <clears throat> there are other leaders, uh, leading evangelicals, who insist on repentance of sins uh, that they say it's necessary for salvation. Usually when they say repentance, they mean feeling sorry about it and that you'll promise you're not going to do this anymore. Don't ever promise God you're not going to sin. I mean, he has a sense of humor, but I wouldn't want to push it. We must respond to this. This is a quote, by the way. We must respond to this good news by repenting of our sins and believing the gospel if we would be forgiven by God, reconciled to him and saved from the wrath to come. And when sharing the gospel, it is important to make sure people know that they must persevere in a lifestyle of repentance. And I asked you Tuesday night, because I gave you this same quote, what you would say, and somebody said, oh, really? That would be fine. But I, my first thing that came to my, my mind is, persevere for how long? How long must we persevere? Nobody can persevere 100% of the time, can they? So already you start undermining this foundation of sand when you start asking such questions. And this is what I'm trying to prepare you to do is when someone makes a statement like that, you don't want to say, no, you're wrong, and start preaching. Just start asking them questions. 
that they don't have answers for. There are no answers for that type of statement. Let me put it this way. There's no coherent, logical, or right answers for that. It is true that repentance, that is metanoeo, change of mind, takes place when one accepts the gospel. But it's changing one's mind about Christ, not about our sins. That is uh, necessary for eternal salvation. In other words, when you hear someone say, you have to repent of your sins, or even a lot of times you have to have repentance, usually someone that would make that statement is trying to connect that to sins. And that's not the issue. There is a change of mind that must take place in order to accept the gospel, but it's changing your mind about Christ. Obviously, if you're an unbeliever, you have not accepted him as God's son who went to the cross that died for your sins and rose and is offering eternal life to you as a gift. So you have to change your mind from trying to get to heaven in some other method, some other fashion, to accepting that gospel, and there is the repentance or the change of mind. It's not doesn't have anything to do with sin. A believer may strive to resist temptation, avoid sin, but all believers continue to sin after they are born again. We sin because we like to sin. We don't like to admit that, but it's true. It is our nature to sin. Our sins may become more obvious to us. Remember what I said last time? Did I say odious? <laughs> See, I got to say it again. Our sins may become more obvious to us, and we may strive harder to resist, but the point is we don't change our minds about sin. If we did, we would no longer sin. But you know what we are? We are a group of saved sinners. That's exactly what we are. Many would agree that the New Testament that the New Testament book that is most descriptive in telling unbelievers how to be saved is the Gospel of John, yet the Gospel of John does not use the words repent or repentance even a single time. So if repentance is a necessary part of being saved, why can't we find them in the Gospel of John, which is the go-to book for unbelievers? Well, it's because we're going to see that it's simply not necessary. Now, I want all of you to please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I have it up here as well. Acts chapter 2. Get your pen. We're going to make some notes here. I think that you need to be as prepared to handle Acts chapter 2 as you do James chapter 2. What is all this with the two business? I mean, that's where they go to. James chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2. If you tell someone that you do not have to be saved, I mean be baptized, water baptized to be saved, they're going to go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. If you say that you, you, you don't have to have good works, faith alone will save you, they're going to go to James chapter 2, which now you're competent in handling that. But now how about Acts chapter 2 and verse 38? But we're not going to start with verse 38. Let's get a little context here. We have, the, the context is Christ has already ascended. Beginning chapter 2, we have 
the account of Pentecost. This is describing how the age in which we live in started. It gives you all that information. And then in verse 22, we're going to have a Paul that is going to lay it on them. He's essentially telling them, well, look at verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Now, what he's essentially doing is explaining who it was that they murdered on the cross. And he goes through this whole thing, giving them uh, proof that this was uh, God's Son, their Messiah, and they nailed him to a cross. Verse 34. For it was not, for was not David who ascended into heaven, but himself says... The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. That's where Christ is now. He is at the right hand of the Father on the throne in heaven. The Lord, if you want to just fill this in, the Lord there is the first Lord is God the Father. You can put just capital GTF, God the Father. Said to my Lord, which is Jesus Christ, this is David who is saying this, So God the Father said to my Lord, Jesus Christ, sit at my right hand. To sit, you have to have a body. This isn't a spirit being that was resurrected. It was a resurrection body that Christ had. He's going to sit there until he makes his enemies a footstool for thy feet. That's going to occur when? At, well, it's going to start actually with the Antichrist signing a treaty with Israel, and you have the seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments that are going to terminate with Jesus Christ coming back at the second advent. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Christ, both Lord and Christ, this, this Jesus whom you crucified. How do you think they were feeling long about then? Well, the Bible, we don't have to guess, the Bible tells us. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what must we do? Now, does that sound familiar? Another person said that in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Remember the jailer said, What must I do to be saved? That's essentially what they are asking. Now, it says when they were pierced, they were uh, pierced to the, to the heart. There is some discussion whether they actually had changed their mind and believed in Christ then, or else maybe they were under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. In any case, we get to the verse that we're going to go over now, which is uh, Acts 2.38, which is the go-to verse. And this is what he says. And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you have a problem with that? Is, is the baptized there, is he talking about a spirit baptism or a water baptism? Think again. That's what people would like to think because they don't know what's going on here. We don't get the Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. They were going to be water baptized with the name by in the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, if we if you follow on, you're going to see how many of them were baptized. It's talking about water baptism at that time. But don't despair. I'm not going to say now we are going to get a, a baptismal pit. We're going to move this thing and we're going to start getting baptized. Because water baptism is not necessary for salvation, but somebody will point to this and say, Ah, yes, but look. You must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're not water baptized, then your sins are not forgiven. This is what they're going to come at you with. Are you ready to sort this out? First of all, repent is what we've been talking about a while ago. It does mean to change your mind, but it means to change your mind about Christ. You go from being dichotomous, two parts to you, body and soul. You hear the gospel, and you change your mind. You're no longer trying to be accepted by God or to get into heaven because you're impressing God with your good works, with your righteousness. No, you've heard a correct gospel. You you believe it, you accept it, because you've changed your mind. You're no longer depending on yourself. Now you're depending on the gift of God, which is eternal life that comes through faith in Christ. That's the repent. Now, I'm sorry, I, I guess I shouldn't have to apologize, but in order to, to understand this, we have to get into the Greek a little bit. Now, remember that I have in the library those little those little pages that, tell you what these are. If you don't have that, you look at that, and it might as well be written in Chinese because what does it mean? Well, this is very important. Repent here, metanoeo, is a verb. The A means it's the aorist, active, and the M means it's imperative. This is a command. The, the two there means it's the second person and it's plural. You got that? So it's an aorist, active, imperative, second person, plural. Now, in Greek, if when you have a verb like here, like this, it has to modify or have an antecedent. In other words, if there is a... The, the next verb we have is baptize. Baptism or... Uh, yeah, baptize. Um, for repent and baptize to go together... They have to be similar, but we're going to see that they're not. It says, and let each one of you be baptized. Now, be baptized is a verb. It's in the aorist tense, just like repent is. But it's in the passive voice. It is an imperative mood. It's a command. But it's in the third person singular, not the second person plural. So what this means is when you talk about repent, that has this morphology here, it can't be, it cannot go together with 
being baptized. Whatever repent is talking about, it's not the same thing that being baptized is because this is in the second person, this is in the third person, this is a plural, this is a singular, this is an active, and this is a passive. So what we have, you notice the red uh, parentheses I have here? Right here. Red, a parentheses here and a parentheses there. I want you to put those in, place them in your Bible right there. You won't remember it. And it's muy importante that you do that. Because what's taking place here is what we call a syntactical break. If you can't remember what that is, write it in your margin. Syntax has to do with how words relate to each other. These words are not relating to each other, so there is a syntactical break. What I'm saying is, and let each of you be baptized, doesn't have anything to do with repent here. So what do we do in the English language when we have something that is inserted that just doesn't go there? We put it in parentheses. It's a parenthetical phrase. For instance, if I said, um, after church I'm going to uh, go to the store, in parentheses, if my car doesn't run out of gas, and then I'm going to buy some groceries. You see what I'm talking about there? That's how a parenthesis is inserted. That's what's taking place here. And when you understand the syntactical break and you put this in parentheses, this is how it reads. And Peter said to them, repent. Now, in parentheses, something that he's just adding, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, in parentheses. Then he goes on with the subject here. For the forgiveness of your sins. See this right here? In other words, if you just did away with that parenthesis, it would be, and Peter said to them, repent, change your mind about Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now notice down here, shall receive. This is a verb. It's future tense. If you repent, if you change your mind about Christ, you will receive forgiveness. And you're also going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now look at this. This is the future middle indicative. The indicative mood means it's absolute certain. You change your mind about Christ, then you're going to receive forgiveness and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Indicative mood. The M here, the middle voice, means it's reflexive. See, you did something to, to get the gift of the Holy Spirit. You, you are um, affected by your, own, by your own verb, by your own action. That's what the middle voice is. And usually it's in a good sense. Usually in the middle voice, you're going to receive something like if you change your mind about Christ, not only are you going to get forgiveness, but you're also going to receive the Holy Spirit. Now look at this. This is the second person plural. What is this? Second person plural. You see how this and this goes together? That's what this is modifying, not this. It's all against third person singular. It's passive voice over here. You got that? So the way this reads, and Peter said to them, repent, change your mind about Christ, then in parentheses, and oh, by the way, let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on with his thought, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Y'all got that? You understand that? Some of you are going, no. What, tell me what you don't understand about that. 
there's a break here. See, see, in they don't they didn't have punctuation like we do. Uh, the the Greeks didn't. And so, uh, if you ever read the old Greek manuscripts, it will make you go blind, because first of all, they used all capital letters, which makes it harder to begin. Can you imagine reading something in English and everything is in capital letters? And there was no spaces between the words. And there was no, and there was no punctuation. So. Okay. I can handle that. Where's my... Here it is. Okay, let's go 100. How about that? Is that better? Huh? <laughs> okay. Now, you can write these down if you want to, uh, or else you can just say that this is uh, second person plural. You can just give the last part here, and this is third person singular. So it cannot be talking the repentance. See, it, it sounds in the English like repent and let each of you be baptized, as if these are the two things that are necessary for the forgiveness of your sin. But this syntactical break shows you otherwise. This is a thought that's inserted there and the thought without the parenthesis and Peter said to them, repent, change your mind about Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive it because you repented, not because you were baptized because baptized doesn't fit this either. Yes. Well, I know. That's why. Why do you think God gave the gift of pastor teacher to people, to, to guys anyway? I'm telling you now. Put first. First, the first thing to do. Put parentheses there. Get the. I mean, make them big enough to where they really stand out. And then, if somebody wants to to go about this. You can explain to them that, did you write in your margin, syntactical break? Okay. That means that what's in that parenthesis does not relate to repent whatsoever. Now, there were those who believed the name of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of sins, not for. And, and you can, the, I mean, right here, for. You have to break right there. It's powerful because what it means is you change your, make sure that, your sins. Either these two. Yep. Repent and what? No, 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 no. Both of them are second person plural. But receive is a future middle indicative. And that's not, it's not that part of the morphology that really makes the, the big change. It's the, what person you're, it is and whether it's singular or plural. Yes, that each of you, see they, in the Greek, it just says baptized there. 
but the word for baptized, it's a verb. And they, in the English, they put each of you be baptized because it's singular. You don't go to the Greek and see each of you. You just have the word there, baptized. And since it's in the aorist passive middle, uh, excuse me, aorist passive imperative, third person singular, then they, they, you can see, let each of you, is, that was their attempt to make it look singular in the English. You got that? Yes. Singular. I thought this was going to be the easy one. <laughs> Wait till we get to the next one. Okay, Barbara. What, this part right here? What? Well, do you have a racer or a whiteout? We can fix that. <laughs> no, here's, I can answer that, the reason why. is because this is in the first century church. This is when baptism was an integral part of how they are, their spirituality, or you could say as it was a, actually a teaching aid. They didn't have a New Testament to look at. And it, I think it did two things, and what, why he inserted it here is because it was showing in a, in a physical way, or in a physical way, the things that are spiritual. And how did the Jews learn? They learned by symbolism, sacrifices. It was all physical so they could learn the spiritual aspects by seeing it done, something happened in a physical way. That's why they were, it was, uh, they were commanded to be water baptized at that time. I think the other reason is because when a Jew was baptized, that, that's it with the family. If they didn't accept Christ also, he would be ostracized, he would be cut off, and that would make his, his potential to continue to grow spiritually stronger because there would be an a, a, a urge to get back right with the family and no longer uh, pursue being a faithful servant and accepting Christ. Because once you had a, a, a water baptism, it would be like, well, even in some churches now, if, if you're a Mormon and you get baptized, that's, then you're in. And it, it's, you, you see what I'm talking about? It made it easier for them to stand firm for the faith because they couldn't go back very easily. Nobody would accept them. Michael. <coughs> right. As identifying themselves with Christ in a public manner through baptism. Yeah, the, th the thing is, the whole, this is in the book of Acts. Everything in the book of Acts is transitional. And where most people go wrong is they'll take things that are in the book of Acts and they'll try to apply it to the church age in the post-canon period, which is what we're in. That means so many things changed after the canon scripture was completed. For instance, the temporary spiritual gift, tongues and healing and miracles, all these other things that were extant at the time, ended by the time the canon scripture was completed. And so did the need for this physical aid, this, this, this uh, visual aid of baptism, because now, by that time, they had the canon of Scripture. That's, to answer your question, Barbara, that's why it was there. It was pertinent to them then. He, he could have said it at the end, but have you ever been talking and had a thought and you wanted to, 
You wanted to get it in there before you finished? And you just, what you do is just put it in parentheses. That's essentially what happens. <laughs> All the time, huh? Yes. Yes, oh, I should have had it for everyone a while ago. Uh, is it fair to say, Mike, that parent, this parenthesis here is with the uh, middle break uh, to separate the two separate subjects, repent and, the, and then receive the gift? And, and Absolutely. That would be the way to say it. In other words, yeah. repent belongs to the latter af outside of the back part of the parenthesis and, and uh, let each be baptized as just another subject in the middle. Is right. Well, in fact, you could, you could put it this way. The repent and everything else after the parenthetical phrase is completed is positional. The baptism is experiential, even for them. That was, that was done after they were, they were saved, not far being far uh, salvation. Okay, I don't know if you're all ready for the next one because that was the easy one. I thought it was going to be easy. But you all have some good questions. I'm glad that you have them because I want you to understand it well enough so when somebody starts throwing things at you, you can just say, well, this, there, there's the syntactical break. They don't match. And uh, one is positional. Uh, the thing inside the parenthesis is experiential. And when you say that to somebody, their eyes are going to be going like this because they don't know what you're talking about anyway. Okay, are you all ready to move on? Because it's not going to get easier. Okay, what about confessing? Jesus as Lord, is that necessary to be saved? You can go right down the road down here, church on both sides of the road, and they will say, absolutely, you must confess Jesus as Lord, and you have to confess your sins as well. You have to repent concerning your sins. You know where we're going? Romans. Romans chapter 10. I was wanting to get all this in one shot, but I guess it's not going to happen. So I'm not going to hurry and try to finish this. <laughs> now, hopefully I've nailed down this Acts chapter 2, verse 38. There's also a verse in Mark chapter 16 that talks about uh, believing and being baptized. But I'm not even going to go there because that part of the Scripture is not in even most of the manuscripts. If you want to, I'll do it another time, but we're, in, we're going to stay on this course for right now. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. And this portion of Scripture, Romans 10, 9, and 10, that's the meat of where we're going, but I'm going to set it up for us. We always need to get things in context. Because this, there are people who go to Romans chapter uh, 10, verse 9 and 10 and say, say that you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And if you don't do that, if you don't actually say that, then you're not saved. It's just another thing that they would allege that is necessary for salvation that is not. But it's not that easy to explain it. But if you... Stay tuned in. You'll, you'll get it. If you look at verse, starting with verse, um, let's see, 27 of chapter 9. 
Romans 9:27. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel will be as the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. Now underline that word saved, and that word there is sozo, S-O-Z-O in the Greek, and it means delivered. It's not talking about eternal salvation. What I'm doing is setting this up for you, for you to see that most of what we see in chapter 10 is experiential and not salvific. Already in chapter 9, he's not talking about them being saved uh, eternally, going to heaven. He's talking about them being delivered from their enemies. For the Lord will execute his word upon the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, except the Lord of the Sabbath had left up a posterity, we would have become as Sodom and would be remembered as Gomorrah. Now, what is he saying? How many people survived Sodom and Gomorrah? Nada, zero. And what he's saying is that God is always going to have a remnant, a, a certain group that is going to be delivered. So even this is not talking about, none of this, as you can see so far, is talking about anything about eternal salvation. It's talking about being delivered from your enemies. And then in verse 30, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith, but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. Now, all this is saying is here's... The, Israel had a problem. The reason that, for the most part, they're going to be wiped out, except for a remnant, is because only the remnant, only this smaller part, are the ones who understood that you cannot be righteous enough on your own power to be accepted by God in heaven. They, they, the righteousness, the only type of righteousness that God accepts is what? His own righteousness. God is perfect, and he's not going to say, well, you know, I kind of like you, you're kind of special. Come on up here. I'll let you come in up here on your own righteousness. It'll be all right. Not hardly. He would never do that. He's perfect, and none of us match his perfect righteousness. But they missed that. The Jews were trying to obey the Mosaic law to be good enough to go to heaven. And so, but there was only a remnant that understood that the only way I can get to heaven is to have God's own righteousness and when I have God's own righteousness, then that qualifies me from heaven. The only thing, how do we get God's righteousness? By faith, right. And what verse do we go to to know that? Come on, y'all. It's in the same book. Well, no. I know what you like, but that's not what we're looking for. That's not what we learned. We learned it. Romans 4, 5. Write, write it in your margin right there. Romans 4, 5. To the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his what? Faith is credited as righteousness. Now, the Gentiles got that. That's what this verse is talking about. The Gentiles got it, but the Jews didn't. 
The Jew says, no, believing doesn't mean anything. We're going to work our way. We're going to show how good we can be, how good we can obey the Mosaic law, and we're going to get to heaven that way. How smart is that? What did James say about obeying the law? Remember what James said? We didn't, it's not in chapter 2. I'm not talking about that. But James said, if you obey the entire law but you miss one point, then you're guilty of the whole thing. In other words, what he's saying is, you commit one sin and you're toast. So nobody can do that. The purpose of the law was to show you can't keep it. This is what God demands. And the only, your only hope is to trust in someone who did keep it, which was who? Jesus Christ. You trust in him, you get my righteousness. We're not even to chapter 10 yet. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, didn't, didn't arrive at that righteousness. See, how did they pursue it? Not by faith, but by works. Verse 20, uh, 32. Why? Why did they not arrive at the law, meaning fulfill the law? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as through, as, as though it were by works. You got that? Here we have faith versus works again. There are tons of Jews that will spend the eternity in the lake of fire because they rejected the free gift offer of God's righteousness through faith in Christ, and they were going to try to work their way. And it says, And they stumbled over the stumbling stone. And out there, you need to put off in your margin there, capital J, capital C, Jesus Christ. He was the stumbling stone. They rejected him as their Messiah. They were going to do just fine on their own. And so they stumbled. Just as it is written, verse 33, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This is Christ. And he who believes in him will not be, this says, disappointed. It could be put to shame. You're not going to be put to shame. You're not going to be disappointed if you believe in him. Just for grins, look it over at chapter 10, verse 13. What does that say? For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. No, that's not the one I wanted. Verse 11, excuse me. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Right? That comes from Isaiah 28, 16. That's a quote. Isaiah 28, 16. Okay, so far, what have we found out here? That it has to do with God keeping a remnant around on planet Earth, these Jews. That they're going to be what? What did we see in verse 27? Even though their number is the sand of the sea, it's this remnant that's going to be saved, meaning delivered here. And then we see why, what the problem was. The Gentiles did not pursue righteousness, but they attained righteousness. They didn't, they didn't pursue a righteousness by works. They didn't have the Mosaic Law. Well, who gives a hoot about the Mosaic Law? Somebody like Peter or Paul comes along and says, guess what? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's already been here. He died on the cross for your sins, and if you trust in Him, then you can, you can be saved. You don't have to work. You're already have God's righteousness. 
And they said, that sounds like a deal for me. I'll go for that. And so they weren't pursuing a righteousness by works. They were just believing the gospel. That's what it's talking about in verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, put in your margin there somewhere, works righteousness. They didn't pursue it by works. That's what the Jews were doing. They weren't making it. But they attained righteousness. Then just in case you're not sure, that's imputed righteousness, by the way. Even the righteousness which is by faith. The only way that you're going to be righteous enough to be accepted by God is to have His righteousness. And the only way you got His righteousness is through faith alone in Christ alone. Period. Do you know how many believers that have gone to church all their life and they don't even have a clue that they have imputed righteousness? They don't even know what it is. What a shame. And people who are unbelievers, they certainly don't know anything about it. It's our job as ambassadors for Christ to tell them, hey, are you, are you going to heaven? Well, I don't know. I hope so. Well, what do you mean you hope so? Well, I don't know if I'm good enough or not. Well, won't you stop all that baloney? What do you mean? I'm talking about get, you can have God's righteousness, which qualifies you from heaven for heaven just by believing in Jesus Christ. Is that good news? You don't have to work anymore. You don't have to ever worry again, not one moment in your life, if you're good enough to go to, to heaven. I'm going to do a funeral tomorrow, tomorrow morning. And you know what I'm going to tell those folks? There are going to be people there that are wondering, am I good enough to get there or not? And I'm going to, I'm going to give them the news. I'm going to tell them, guess what? You don't have to be good to go to heaven. And they might, might think in their own mind, well, Hallelujah. You have to be perfect, not just good, perfect. And there's only one that was ever perfect. And the way to heaven is through him accepting his work rather than your own. That's not hard to understand, is it? But you have to let go of your pride. You have to let go of all uh, your pride with regards to all that you've done in order to get to heaven. Chapter 10. Now, guess what? We're not getting to verse 9 and 10 tonight. I hope we get, get there next time. But to set it up, what I, all I've given you so far is preparation for you to understand verse 1. Now, look at verse 1. Brethren, who is he talking to? Jews and believers, right? My heart's desire... And my prayer to God for them, these are these Jews that have not got it. They've been working for their, their own righteousness to be accepted. Is for their salvation. Now, I want you to underline salvation. That word in the Greek is soteria. and they so then 
This didn't really take place. You just had a false faith. You just thought you were saved. And we've got to rightly divide the word of truth. So when we get back next time, and we're going to be talking about Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, which people go to say, see, you have to confess Jesus is Lord with your mouth, or else it just you're not saved. It's not even talking about eternal salvation there anyway. It's kind of woven in a little bit, but uh, it's really neat to understand that verse. I wish I had another two hours. But I think y'all's concentration battery might be going low. I don't know. Anyway, if y'all want a copy of this, where's Doc? You think you could make some copies of this? Okay, I'll see you get one. Okay. Aren't you glad that we don't have to confess our sins? We don't have to feel sorry for sins? We don't have to say that Christ is Lord? Now, this goes along with that uh, lordship salvation. They say that you must make Jesus Lord. And they say if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Woo! You don't make Jesus Lord. He's Lord already. You think you can do anything about that? And if, if you have to uh, make him Lord of all, and if, you're, if you don't make him Lord of all, and you're not and you don't do that, then you lose your salvation or you weren't really saved to begin with. And that's the same thing that people would subscribe to who would say that we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. This is all, this is all garbage, and it's being spewed out there all the time. What I'm trying to get you to do is to be able to stand up to this without fear and explain, well, you know, you have to, you have to determine what's experiential and what's positional when they say what are you talking about you can say i'm glad you asked because then you can start sorting some things out okay let's close father we thank you for your grace and how it shows up everywhere in your word we're so thankful that we don't have to confess we don't have to feel sorry for our sins we don't have to even acknowledge our sins all we have to do is have faith alone in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, alone. And at that point in time, we receive your perfect righteousness. We receive eternal life. And your word tells us that the gifts of God are irrevocable. And both of these come as, as gifts. We're so thankful that we don't have to be stumbling around, worried about whether we're truly saved or not. But what we do have to be concerned about is making sure that we can tell others that are struggling with their eternal destiny how simple it is because of your grace. So we pray that you will help us to meditate upon these things so that we can have that courage and confidence to be good and faithful servants. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.